Yeah, it's football. Football is like a long snuff film. This ain't no game, Flash. Joe Hellenbeck's a private detective who's run out of luck. If you touch me again, I can. <laughs> two for two. Told you. Jimmy Dix. I like bricks. Oh, is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Hello, welcome back to the Waffle Press Podcast. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. In this episode of Let's Talk About Movies, I bring on another guest to talk about the last Boy Scout. We're doing some counterintuitive counterprogramming uh, for Super Bowl Sunday. So if you're listening to this on Super Bowl Sunday, hello. Fuck the system. Fuck the system. Football, football's kind of bad. I like Super Bowl parties as much as the next person. But let's talk a little bit about why this is weird. Uh, my guest host today is Matt Garingo from The Retrospectives and the Christmas Chronicles episode. Uh, but today we're here to talk about Tony Scott's The Last Boy Scout, the great action hero filmmaker, Tony Scott, who uh, who is probably the best Scott. I think rewatching this like a dozen times in the last year kind of solidified that for me. Like Ridley Scott will always have my heart for, for Blade Runner and Alien. But uh, Tony Scott, man, that guy, he, he, had, he had something. I think what we can say is Ridley Scott... Alien and Blade Runner put together is probably better than Tony Scott's entire filmography. But Tony Scott has more films that are worth actually watching. I'm curious because they have like Tony Scott and Ridley Scott come from the same era of um, those filmmakers that started doing a lot of commercials. And they got to like exercise their styles and like their, their visual acumen. Uh, uh, Fincher came from the same school, Michael Bay, uh, but Tony Scott and Ridley Scott were the, really the big ones that like kind of broke ground a lot. And uh, we, obviously, a lot of people know the style from like Top Gun and stuff like that. And, like that's not that's not a style that's just married to one of Tony Scott's movies. That's all of his movies <laughs> look like that <laughs> in some capacity. Top Gun might be the worst example of it, to be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we've mentioned it on the show before. We we're not fans of that, but it is. I think interesting that that's the one that people are are, are yeah, drawn to. The only Tony Scott films that seem to get any play with people that I know is uh, Top Gun, which is I don't like, Beverly Hills Cop 2, which I do not like, and True Romance, which is pretty damn good. Yeah, True Romance is is maybe my favorite Tony Scott movie. I don't know. It's it's tough. It's, it's a up pretty there. good one. It's yeah. pretty good. Uh, I like Beverly Hills Cop 2. So I, I think I think we're gonna differ there. I've uh, I, I've said I think I've said on the show I just don't understand the Beverly Hills Cop thing at all. Like I've never been into any of them. Uh, George Lucas has a cameo in Beverly Hills Cop Three. Oh, well, Beverly Hills Cop Three is like the worst movie ever made. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's uh, that's unwatchable. The one where Eddie Murphy said, "I'm not gonna do it funny." Yeah, <laughs> and everyone was like, "What? What? Yeah." Uh, which is, is kind of funny to hear a star call the shots like that on a movie in the 90s because that's almost kind of what happens in The Last Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. uh, written by uh, retrospective mainstay Shane Black. Yep. Um, I believe the first film to be sold for like $3 million or something like that, the script. 
Yeah, it set a record when it was sold. When it was sold. Yeah, and uh, he got a lot of uh, a lot of friend falling outs, or what he presumed to be friends in in the industry, because everyone was like, I guess, kind of jealous and mm-hmm. upset that like, oh, like this guy is like this is like his fourth official feature that he wrote. Also, it's yeah. not like he was there for a while, so I can kind of see people be upset at him, but it's not like it was his fault, you know. I'd hope I wouldn't be that type of person, but. I feel like I might be that type. Of <laughs> you got a million dollars for something, I might not take it well. <laughs> I, I'd get that. It doesn't um, help that I don't respect your opinion in any way. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be a nightmare for you. Uh, so Shane Black wrote it, uh, and Bruce Willis is coming off of two Die Hard films where he he had to save his wife in in each of them, uh, mm-hmm. and the last Boy Scout underwent dramatic reshoots and rewrites. Uh, mostly rewrites, though. It's the most rewriting Shane Black's ever had to do, he said. And he did it himself? Uh, he did it himself as far as I know. I'm sure there were other Tony hands Scott, there. Tony Scott's notorious for bringing on, like, tons of ghostwriters for his movies. All right, so here's here's what's going on. We'll get into the movie, but here here's what the production was like in this movie. So you got Joel Silver from Silver Pictures. Joel Silver is an <laughs> aggressively... One of the Silverback gorillas of... <laughs> 90s Hollywood. <laughs> he he is like, as far as we know, the less malicious Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to put that label on anyone else, but like in terms of like production executions, Joel Silver would like, he, he would be very hands-on is mm-hmm. what uh, the actor who played Milo the henchman in this said. And I think he was putting it politically correct. <laughs> you know? <laughs> might explain why Taylor Negron didn't exactly have a huge career. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame, because Taylor Negron was great. Yeah. Um, and then you got da- Damon Wayans, who's who's uh, an up-and-coming star at this point, uh, who did not get along with Bruce Willis at all. And Bruce mm-hmm. Willis asked that – or not asked. He's uh, asked <laughs> and politely uh, demanded, probably, that he did not want to spend another second half of a film having to rescue his wife from the bad guys. Uh, and all the while this is going on, the budget starts blowing up because there's a lot of set pieces that, that go into this in the original script. Uh, it goes not, not to to get too into it. We'll, we'll go along as we go along breaking down the official film, but there's like a detour to Catalina. There's a, a chase seat. Well, there's, there's a, a car chase sequence here, but it's like in the backwoods of LA as opposed to like what it originally was through like Beverly Hills all the way down to like sunset Boulevard. It's uh there's a helicopter and boat chase. <laughs> And it's just, like, crazy. I think, I don't like to say that executive meddling helped this film, but I think we might have gotten the better movie. Uh, There's some stuff that, like, there's some setup and payoff stuff in terms of, like, Joe's uh, uh, bodyguard background that pays off really well. In the original draft, he is shot by, like, a sniper while protecting the president. Uh And he keeps that sniper rifle, and then... Later in the film, when uh, him and Jimmy are going all out to to save the day, he kind of has to... He's being framed all the while, right? And so to, <laughs> to save everyone, he has to, like, become that assassin. Okay. So to speak, and it was kind of this cool full circle thing. Did they go into the assassin more in the original script? Uh, Not the, the identity, but the event itself and how, like, it changed him. Okay. A little bit more. But in okay. terms of streamlining it, this this is way better. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think uh, it's a little more streamlined. 
Um, also, I gotta just say, like, I, it's it's a movie, so who gives a shit, but why would anyone let him have the sniper rifle? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Shouldn't that be in, like, the FBI headquarters or something? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they just give out the Lee Harvey Oswald rifle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no one stopped him. <laughs> well, they could have given it to Jack Ruby's family. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah. I'll leave it in, though. Um, so the last Boy Scout is about right. Joe Hallenbeck. Doyle Murray. <laughs> like fucking Jack Ruby in the film JFK. So fucking ridiculous. All right, so the, the uh, last Boy Scout is about Joe Hallenbeck, a uh, hard-boiled private detective. Uh, surprise, it's a Shane Black script. And former Secret Service agent. Former Secret Service agent. And Jimmy Dix, who is a former football star turned... Slacker? Drug addict? I mean, that's kind of where he's at. He doesn't seem to have much else going on. Yeah, no. Uh, Uh, Hanging around uh, strip clubs because that's where his girlfriend is. Although his his opening scene, he's in bed with another woman. There is more of that in the original script, too. mm -hmm. How that's not the first time he's done that, and how... That opening's weird. It it is weird. The introduction's weird. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's there's more of that and how like it's not the first time he's done that and it's it's implied that he's addicted to sex as as much as he is addicted to to cocaine. That's okay. what he's doing, right? Cocaine. Um, he's doing no, he's doing a type of painkiller, like an illegal painkiller. Oh, okay. Say, uh, I don't I don't know drugs. A heroin type drug. It's not heroin, but it's a heroin type drug, from what I understand. Okay. No, I, I'm not cool. I just I just drink alcohol and smoke. I, I don't know so. anything about any drug ever. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what exactly I'm putting into my body that my doctors are prescribing. <laughs> I've given up. I've got like fucking 50 pills. I can't keep track of anything. Um, and much like the Lethal Weapon films, it's about how these two disparate souls wind up needing each other and making each other a little bit better in the process. Uh, it's a little meaner and a lot more cynical. And the violence is even more vicious than any of the films. Mm-hmm. And it opens with a very fun little theme song that Matt loves a lot. Every fumble's a rumble. (laughs) It has some very concrete thoughts about how the... NFL treats people, specifically black people. Yes. And I, I tend to lean more in that direction as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie, it's interesting that it it's like a mixture of a celebration of football, but also to- tells you exactly why it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this, is, this movie's got a lot to it. Um, yeah, production that went out of control, budget blo- um, boomed, and then fucking ballooned fuck uh and then it flopped when it came out <laughs> yeah it's, it's really too bad i don't know i don't know what happened um it's it, you know what i can tell you what it was this was not the movie for the 90s <laughs> the 90s was about to become all disaffected and like like pulp fiction's just around the corner so everyone's like turning on action movies mm. um and yeah that's right th- that's what i think happened you think it, it would have done better now? Like, if it was somehow made today instead? If 
if you made it today but set it in the 90s. Oh. I think the the 90s setting is what makes this film. It's like Tony Scott predicted what the 90s aesthetic was going to be in 1991. (laughs) Like, because, I mean, the look of this film, I don't, like, it... I remember seeing it in like fucking Bad Boys, and that came later. Um, Bad Boys has a very similar look to this. Yeah. Uh, and then you get like very garish versions of this, like Swordfish in like two thousand. <laughs> a film I've actually never seen. Not you don't need to. Okay. You don't. Um, it's so bad. It's like trying to be like Pulp Fiction and like The Last Boy Scout. <laughs> That sounds weird. It's yeah, but it's like it's like fascinating, but it like doesn't gel at all. Mm. Like you have John Travolta being like, you know what I love about movies? Like so he talks to the camera, like he's a charismatic terrorist. Oh God! Yeah. Hey, two thousand one. It's like three months before nine eleven. That's what we thought terrorism was. Oh my God! Yeah. That could. I mean, I guess it could have come out at a worse time, like the weekend of nine eleven. But still. Yeah. It's fascinating to see, like, what we thought terrorism was. Oh. Um, and it's like, you know, what's his name? Who is it? Hugh Jackman's a hacker. <laughs> and like, oh, that's like, Chris, that's like Chris Hemsworth being a hacker. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. You gotta hack the system. And, oh no, you hacked it. You hacked the hack. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, Halle Berry's in it. We're connected to this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Halle Berry's first official film role. Hey. I did not know that going in, so I was a little shocked when she exits the picture pretty early. Yeah, so again, uh, this is a discussion completely on The Last Boy Scout, history's production, uh, our thoughts on the film, and surprisingly, the richer, like, ideas in it. So if you haven't seen The Last Boy Scout, please, please check it out. And just as, like, as as a standard, whenever these episodes go up, if you haven't seen the film... Should probably watch it before. You don't have to watch everything we talk about because some some of it really isn't like most of the Halloween sequels. Yeah, but this one is really worth seeking out. Um, so when did you first see Last Boy Scout? because uh, it was always on cable for a, for a couple of years, uh, bits and pieces. But I did. I don't think I, I fully saw it like all the way through until like maybe two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think I mentioned on a ep- previous episode of this podcast that I was getting ready to sit down to rewatch it for the first time since the 90s. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I think I say in one of the episodes, like, yeah, I just got a copy of The Last Boy Scout. I've wanted to watch it. And uh, so I would say in the last six months, it was when I finally revisited it. Because I, I saw it. I saw part of it when I was younger and I had like memories of it. Cause it's like not a movie that you can forget. <laughs> um, so I have memories of the opening murder suicide on the football field. Uh, I have, I have very clear memories of Taylor and Hagron going into the helicopter blades. <laughs> I had one of those ones where it was like a dormant memory where when the furry Tom scene happened, <laughs> like suddenly it came flooding back. Oh, I'll say for the record, that plays better in the movie. It's di- very different in the, in the in the script and it's not as fun. Okay, it's great in this version. Um, and I also remember the guy getting shot by the pool. 
And I also, I will say, I mentioned Swordfish. I would get this movie confused with Swordfish in my young mind. Huh. Um, I just have my brain. I combined tons of movies at the time. Swordfish has, I believe, a, a car going into a pool in it as well. Mm. Um, so I think that's where I combined the things. The the most prominent image in my mind that I never forgot was the guy running down the football field and suddenly shooting everyone. I thought I also got this movie confused with uh, Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday. Holy shit! <laughs> um, which uh, that's a crazy movie about football, but it doesn't have a murder suicide in it. <laughs> I love the uh, terrible attempts to come up with fake football names in both movies. <laughs> The cats and the stallions are ready to do it. <laughs> Although I will say I understand so little about football that I did not understand that Friday, that there are, is no Friday night football until I watched this <laughs> and had someone watching it with me point that out. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's not a thing. I, I don't know that much about football, but that is, yeah, I, I know that's not a thing. I The only thing I know about football is that I hate the Patriots. <laughs> I hate football as a sport. I don't find it enjoyable at all. Yeah, like Super Bowl Sunday is the most exciting part for me when I was like growing up, like at family gatherings and stuff. I just like the commercials. I know. A lot of people are like that. I like trying to do counter programming like this fucking (laughs) podcast. Now, I will always like watch something else and then tag Super Bowl Sunday in it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's my, that's my very, very, very futile attempt to rebel against Super Bowl Sunday. (laughs) Well, here's something interesting then. Uh, I was thinking about bringing it up later, but might as well bring it up now. The the conspiracy, like, mystery plot of the film turns out to revolve around uh, legalizing gambling in the NFL. Mm. And that is, like, a thing now. Yeah, that happened just last year. Yep. So Mm -hmm. this movie is... It, the, the plot would not work today anymore. Oh, I guess in a way it still probably could. It would just have to be about not gambling. I'm well, sure it, there's something else in the NFL they could write about. Now it works like the nice guys does about the catalytic converters <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a shame because this movie's kind of making a point about, you know, I mean, there's a, there's it's very clearly illustrated in how Jimmy Dix is run out of the league for gambling, but now they're going to legalize it so the fucking owners can make more money. You know? Yeah. Now they they wanted to he he got punished for something that will now benefit the people who already control the sport. There's a lot of that in this film. Yeah, I mean, again, because the, the opening with uh... running back Billy Cole. Yeah. Um. It opens with him saying, ain't life a bitch, and blowing his goddamn brains out. And shooting, like, three other players. Yeah. Um, Basically because of of the, the people in charge of the teams and the, the system. Yeah, like, he's pushing him to that point. He's threatened to do it. I mean, it's basically like, you know, if you can't, if you can't score this touchdown, you're no longer valuable, so we're going to kill you. And, like, that's, that's a... F- the fact that this movie exists with that statement in it is, like, insane. It might be the most insane thing in this movie, and it happens in the beginning, but this movie is fucking crazy, so I don't know. It's pretty nuts, but, like, I think the shock of it is, like, what the fuck? I do think this is one of those movies where it's structured kind of like, a, you know, 
a noir type film a little bit where like sometimes the the information is delivered to you in a convoluted way but when you really break it down it's not that convoluted of a story you know yeah how this movie decides to give you information you might you'd be like i can understand someone getting the end of this movie and being like wait what the fuck was that opening about because <laughs> <laughs> you get the way stuff is doled out to you unless you're really paying attention which even i don't a lot of the time <laughs> um you know i could see certain things uh being missed i need to watch most movies like twice to really get them um and I, because of recently rewatching this this has become one of those movies i'm obsessed with now so i'm like rewatching it constantly oh it's it's endlessly rewatchable for me yeah i, I could put it on like however because even without like all the stuff we're diving into tony scott he always just had such an eye for like delivering action or like just moment to moment like ingenuity and like his visual storytelling like the way he, he could create like uh because it is very much like a hard-boiled like noir film even when Bruce Willis is like chilling in the office, it's kind of like a mm-hmm. a more modern Blade Runner <laughs> look. Well, there's definitely like noir lighting in that, you know, uh, the blinds and all that. Uh, but one thing uh, that that I find odd about this is that the action in this movie is like vicious. Tony <laughs> Scott is known for his action, but he makes like one of the most vicious action movies ever, and then. Shane Black is known for his, you know, comedic writing. But here, like, I will say, I, I've watched this, and I don't really laugh at any of the jokes in it. Like, there's this just deep underlying sadness and damage to, like, all the humor in this. Oh, everyone in this movie is crazy fucked up and an asshole. Yeah. Like, but it's, what I'm saying is, like, you know, when, when someone delivers a joke, there's, like, a... Uh, uncomfortable truth like hidden in it (laughs) (laughs) like uh and i get so i can kind of understand why this maybe didn't resonate with audiences of the time um who maybe wanted a more fun action movie Uh, but i don't understand the 90s the 90s sucked there's there's interesting stuff going on there's there's a lot of birth of like interesting filmmakers but it's it's hard to pin down Mm -hmm. for sure well, that's what this 90s is the generation of like, I'm not a part of this system. <laughs> and like the last Boy Scout kind of has a message about how you can't just fucking unplug from the system. <laughs> and I don't think people were ready for that. Um, I think it says something about how well received the first Matrix was and how poorly received the later two were. Because <laughs> the, the Matrix kind of ends up being the perfect 90s film. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's this is a it's kind of an uncomfortable movie. <laughs> it it is. I I find myself laughing at the jokes, and like I'm I, I personally I'm turned off when people are like you know like I just want people to push buttons you know like humor's like comedy's supposed to be offensive. Don't you get it? It's satire, and like I don't think this is this qualifies as satire, but I could tell that like someone with that sort of regular mentality, mm-hmm. uh, which is wrong by the way. The, that they would probably love this movie. And so I, like, questioned myself. I'm like, oh, God, am I one of them? Or is that just, like, me, like, in the movie? I think, I honestly think this is one of those examples. I think it's kind of like Punisher Warzone, where you get people who are like, I want something that really pushes boundaries. And then they get it, and then they it's too much for them. <laughs> I'm willing to bet, like, people who think they're edgy will watch this, and they'll walk away with very confused emotions. <laughs> 
Because this is not... This is a movie about how society will destroy your body. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene in this... Damon Wayans has to give a monologue in this about how his life has been destroyed by football, and he's giving it while blood is dripping out of his jaw. <laughs> oh, it's this is his best performance by, like, Miles. Oh, definitely. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's parts where, like, a person can get injured in a movie where it's, like, you can live with someone getting, like, shot in the kneecap or, like, shot in the arm or something. Or, like, even, like, like someone's head getting blown off. Like, you can take that. But, like, there's something about... Like, the teeth, or, like, fingers, or, like, the nose, or the eye. Like, that if those are what get fucked up, it can, like, really mess you. Like, it can really make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think this movie just goes for that constantly. Uh, Beyond belief, because this had to avoid an NC-17 reading. They had to keep cutting back the action. So, like, (laughs) the action had to be chopped up more in the editing room, because the way they shot it... The, the the people at the MPAA or whatever the fuck, they were like, y- you can't show this. Like, this is, this is too much. Where they have to cut around violence, but then they have to, like, still explain what the fuck just happened. <laughs> so they add a sound effect that makes it so much worse. <laughs> I think about the guy who gets his, his nose, like, punched into his brain and kills him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm so tempted to just put that scene here because that's, like, my favorite scene in the movie that's incredible but the sound it makes (laughs) is like ah (laughs) that could like just think that's that's how you die (laughs) fucking your oh my god that's a nightmare (laughs) that is so horrifying uh, and that who that happens to is uh, character actor Tim Coates, uh, yes. remarkable character actor. I'm very happy he's still with us. Didn't realize how old he is. What what else was he in? Uh, uh, he's he is in one of the Resident Evil sequels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was in all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy. I I kind of tapped out towards the end because even I have my limits. <laughs> Uh, a bunch of other shit that I can't remember off the top of my head. But he, he's from, he's in a lot. What from this era? From Resident the, Evil. Of this, oh, this movie, I mean. Oh, I don't know. Probably just like bit roles like was this. He in Die Hard? Was he like one of the guys in Die Hard? No. Okay. Yeah, I, he's I, not in any Die Hard. I keep trying to remember because I remember that face <laughs> in something from that era, but I can't think of what it was. Um, also, I should mention the other guy with him who doesn't get his nose punched is uh, was the projectionist in the 80s Blob film. Which is one of my favorites. Oh, the 80s blob is awesome. He's the guy with the yo-yo. <laughs> the yo-yo uh, ceiling. Not, not quite as vicious as this film, but there is a meanness to that There's, one that I kind of like, too. That blob movie fucking fucked me up. So, <laughs> that is a disturbing film. Um, I Yeah. That that movie is a nightmare. And no one dies, like, easy in that movie. <laughs> uh... Yeah, this is a this is a vicious, vicious, vicious film. I believe in the in the as they gear up for the third act, Jimmy calls out Hallenbeck for being like the weirdest. He has having like the weirdest sense of honor ever because he's trying to avenge the dude who cheated, slept with his wife, uh, and save the guy who ruined his life. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, there's there are no heroes here. Well, because he's the it, Bruce Willis is the last Boy Scout. Uh-huh. He does what's right. Yeah. 
Um, and he, doing what right has destroyed his life and his relationships. <laughs> um, I should mention how I believe this is the true sequel to Die Hard. Yes. Would you Would you like to get into that? Well, all right. Let's just just if you were to change the writing of the film a little bit, the, it would basically be John McClane instead of saving the president. He's just the hero from Nakatomi Plaza. You know, that, you would get some notoriety for that. Yeah. Ignore all the other Die Hard films, by the way. Like this is Die Hard too. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could accept this. Um, but and and off that he gets like a celebrity type job, you know, as a bodyguard to the senator, so that senator shit still goes down, right? Mm-hmm. You understand? You follow me so far? I follow you. I follow you. Uh, so now because of that, he's. To be the last Boy Scout, to be the guy he wants to be, he's had to shut himself off emotionally from the world. He can't really feel anything. Because he, he's not even like an angry guy in this. When, when he catches his wife cheating, he's not angry, which is what makes it so disturbing. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm just saying I can see it because, you know, he has John McClane had a daughter. So That's right. Daniel Harris kind of falls into that. His wife, you just you just have to make Holly Gennaro turn into a woman who would cheat on John McClane. Yeah. <laughs> I can make that. You can make that work. Um, and you know what you also could do? <laughs> and also you could re- replace uh, Bruce McGill with Reginald L. Johnson. No! <laughs> no, that's so... Yes. That's fucked up. That's too much. Sergeant, Sergeant Powell is the one. <laughs> No, cheats. Who has an affair with John McClane's wife? Just, ha- it, it just happened, John. It just happened, John. You could see it happening. I don't think I can. Don't find me. <laughs> I don't want to see that happen. I don't give a shit. That's how it happens. <laughs> That's why this movie's evil and it's great. Oh my god. Well, see, I mean, and then you see, like, again, I also think this movie is kind of a little connected to Unbreakable because Bruce Willis repeats the whole, you know, emotional stuntedness in Unbreakable. Um, you see the ver- very similar, there's a lot of similarities in the characters. The only difference is that in Unbreakable, he's unbreakable. And here he is very much not. You know I'm saying I do believe this is a perfect sequel to Die Hard. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not putting that image in my brain Bill anymore. He's in the closet. No, come <laughs> sampling out. Oops, sorry, Mrs. McLean. I guess it just isn't my week. Instead of the toilet seat being up, he finds a Twinkie wrapper. Wow. No. And now, no. like that great bonding moment is ruined in the original Die Hard. Oh no! Yeah, that might that might be too much. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm. I'm saying that's what happened. Oh God. Is Reginald Bell Johnson? <laughs> now I hate this. <laughs> um, and then Reginald Bell Johnson blows up in a car bomb. Aww. Hey, at least we have more of the fucking do in this movie than he did in Die Hard too. I don't. Well, physically, yes, but you know, he'd have the same amount of screen time. Kind of be a goddamn reason to bring him back. Uh, yeah. Fucking do it, you cowards! Hollywood's full of cowards. Audiences are just nothing but cowards. <laughs> this beautiful art I'm trying to drop right here. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's kind of amazing that Shane Black never got a Die Hard sequel. I'm, I'm willing to bet he was at least considered at one point. 
especially because of the Silver Pictures connection. Like, although maybe his experience with Bruce Willis on this made him say no. <laughs> oh, that's also true. Oh well, I mean, uh, Joel Silver is the one that took the title of Die Hard from either this or Lethal Weapon. I forget. Oh really? Yeah. Um, uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Die Hard's a better title for Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the Last Boy Scout is a better title. Better title for this. Mm. Um, same with Lethal Weapon. Uh, what about Loaded Weapon One? I've never seen it. It's not good. Okay. John McClane is in Loaded Weapon. Oh, that's that gag where he jumps out of the exploding building, right? Yes. Okay, I, I'm familiar with that. The movie's terrible. Okay. One of Samuel Jackson's first movies. Everyone, Samuel Jackson got his brains blown out in Goodfellas. <laughs> we, y'all got to start somewhere. Yeah. Hey. Stacks. Everyone likes Stacks. And then he would go on to star in Shane Black's The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes, which is another underrated film. Yeah. His favorite performance ever, he said. I think I heard him say that recently. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. Because um, I don't think he ever got better than Jackie Brown. Oh, Jackie Brown's so fucking good. So fucking good in Jackie Brown. Yeah. Um. Why doesn't he have an Oscar? That's bullshit. That's crazy. The Academy's bullshit. That's like Gary Oldman on having one without yeah. the wife beating. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's worse. It's worse in this scenario because this is a good person. Mm. But he's not even. He doesn't even get nominated. It's such bullshit. Tragedy. Yeah. Tragedy all around, including in this film. I don't even know where to go with this movie. Yeah, because like I was like even like just a scene by scene basis. Like it's it's again. It's not that this film is complex. It's that the information's delivered, like, complexly. Yeah. And, you, again, you look at the whole thing, it's like, that wasn't that complicated. But if you're just walking out of it at a first viewing, it might be like, it takes some time to process. Like, hey, hang on. I don't know if this made sense. And everything connects, uh, even though Shane Black had to rewrite from, like, the fucking ground up at times. Mm -hmm. um, everything somehow still flows yeah, semi naturally. I guess it it might be a testament to just Shane Black's skills um, as a writer, and probably why you should keep the original writer working on subsequent drafts. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I hear that helps. Yeah, because that doesn't that doesn't seem to be something Hollywood does a lot these days. I mean, even films I like, you can tell they did rewrites, but if usually if it's from the original writer, it tends to work. Mm-hmm. Like, you can actually, you can feel some rewrites going on in The Last Jedi, especially around, uh, Haldo. Oh, really? Yeah. I, oh, this is, this is interesting. I haven't... You don't pick up on that? Mm-mm, no. I'm in a weird spot right now because I love that movie, but I feel like it's getting, like, people are ignoring that there are some flaws in it. <laughs> but no more than, like, the average Star Wars film. Yeah, like, every Star Wars movie has, like, a thing. Yeah, so, you know, like, like... It's, it's a movie, it's not, like... A, a mathematical calculation that's going to be perfect. Yeah, but it's just like, I feel like some people need, we need to kind of go like, hey, look, that was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the problem is no one can be that way. It's either got to be the greatest thing ever or it destroyed Western civilization. Yeah. <laughs> According to Joe Rogan. Oh, God. I, no, no, <laughs> no. I'd rather hear Reginald Bell Johnson uh, <laughs> in bed with Holly McLean. <laughs> You're coming around the No, idea. I'm not, but I'd rather hear that fictional shit than that real shit. Just blowing up in that car. <laughs> oh. That's so fucked up. 
<laughs> That's why I don't think it could be a sequel to Die Hard. It, it's Re- imagine Reginald L. Johnson saying means I'd cut off three of my fingers just to fuck her. Because <laughs> we don't really know Sergeant Powell. Oh my god! <laughs> it was one night. He's married and he's having a kid. Yeah, we don't know if that's a stable relationship. Oh my god. She probably didn't take too well that he was out all night with those fucking Twinkies. (laughs) (laughs) There was an emergency. Yeah, but he didn't need to stay. They kept trying to tell him to leave. He's a support system. Hey, whatever. Maybe Reginald Johnson is the real last Boy Scout. (laughs) Where do we go next? Just, like, talk about, um... Taylor Negron is one of the most uncomfortable screen villains ever. Oh, yeah. Because he, he he tries to present himself as, like, very clean and polite, but you just... There's something disgusting just, like, crawling beneath his surface. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, waiting to burst out. Like, he just can't wait to f- fuck people up. And it's... Why well, say he's the polar opposite of... Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is, feels compelled to be the good guy to his own detriment. And uh, Milo, uh, he revels in being the bad guy. Yeah. that's, that's uh, It's little things, little simple things like that that make the movie feel more, like, fulfilling. You know? Yeah. Well, it's what gives the, you know, it's, it's what makes the film actually stand out instead of just being a stupid action movie about trying to stop sports gambling. <laughs> Uh, if you write down the plot of this movie it's like two paragraphs really like at most and but all the stuff that makes it interesting is just the stuff in the margins of it mm-hmm. so. uh, and there was going to be a lot more to Milo and I'm, I'm kind of okay with them taking this out uh, where he was going to be a, a snuff film producer mm-hmm. and uh you in the finale, you even get to go to his uh, production studio, and it's it's mm. a little grisly. Yeah, I can imagine like how you would work that in would be difficult, but I think that background is kind of appropriate for the character. Oh, it's totally appropriate for the character. No, but I mean like thematically too. I mean, he profits off of making other people kill each other on film. Yeah, and it's what are the villains doing? Same shit with football. Yeah, it's football. Football is like a long snuff film. Watching people kill each other. It reminds me of there's a great there's a great Norm McDonald joke. Where he says, uh, MMA and kickboxing are gonna come together to form a new sport called murder. <laughs> like that's <laughs> That's kind of the vibe I get. I've also heard like boxing. I mean, if you listen to, like, boxers, like, late in life, they're so, like, clearly damaged from, like, the amount of head injuries they've had. Like, I've, I've heard people describe boxing as almost murder. Jesus. I mean, that's what football kind of is. We're paying these people to just destroy themselves. Like, and somehow Tom Brady gets to look all right. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, if you, if all... you made The Last Boy Scout today, you have to make Tom Brady, like, a minor villain. Yes. Yeah, the quarterback who replaced uh, Jimmy Dix. <laughs> oh, okay, but uh, I guess because we're just gonna kind of be hopping around, anyways. I want to get into l- a little bit of like the additional stuff that was cut from the film. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, there was there was a little more 
in terms of the uh, the political connections to football and how they kind of help each other profit, especially mm-hmm. with like white America. Particularly, mm-hmm. it is not subtle at all that they're making comparisons to basically like slave traders and like plantation yes. owners, uh, mm-hmm. especially with the I guess the head honcho Marcone. You know, I think it's kind of bold that this was a point being made in '91. Um, like that feels like a conversation that would be difficult to have even now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think I think maybe because I think the free agent debate was happening at that time, like free agency. Because I mean, if you especially with baseball, baseball was like almost straight up slavery <laughs> for the players. Like they couldn't like compete. They couldn't, like, get salary raises. It was just awful. Until, like, the 80s. Um, and it's just... But, and then people turned and blamed free agency for, like, the decline in football. Like, as being a, like, you know, a heroic sport. Like, that's actually one of the opening lines in the movie is, like, are there any heroes left in football? And this movie kind of has, like, a very cynical answer which is that there were never heroes in football i mean the whole system of football is a lie there's i i mean i want to bring up a little bit more of the political stuff really quick senator boehner the dude who fucks up uh hallenbach's career uh, and eventually has to end up saving there was gonna be a like a little diversion to catalina where a showdown was gonna happen so you think it's gonna be like the third act finale but it turns out it's like a five-act movie. So you know how this movie is like an hour and a half long? It's kind of like yes. The Predator, where there's like an hour of finale missing. But this works oh. much better. It's worked a lot better than the fucking Predator did. Yeah. I, I, so much Mainly more. Mainly because it was very clear the studio was trying to change The Predator into a completely different beast than what it was originally intended to be. Yeah, and this one streamlines... Not to its detriment, I don't think. Uh, there's some stuff that plays a little more interesting, but like, okay, so the stuff with Baynard and Marcone and Milo, um, instead of re- rejecting the offer, he you know he wants more money, and uh, they're gonna have element too that he's not like do, he, like the senator isn't blocking anything for noble reasons. He's just trying to get more money out of a conspiracy. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great, and so. Um, they're still setting up Hallenbeck, but they're going to have him, like, die with Baynard instead of, like, an assassination attempt at a football stadium. That's all That's all new final stuff. Um, but they're going to go to, like, a party in Catalina with, like, a bunch of rich people. And it sounds like a weird diversion, but I kind of like it that the, uh, like, the 1%, basically, the, the upper ruling class is just a bunch mm-hmm. of, like, rich socialites who kind of are separate from the rest of the world. And there's, like, a lot of description of, like, how the, the island's surrounded by fog. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a boat chase in the fog where they're, would, they're trying to, like... It would be a little weird to, like, jump there, I'll be honest. It, it would be very weird, but the setting is really cool. And I, I if there's another, like, a movie that, for whatever reason, has a finale take place in Catalina, mm-hmm. I'd be very interested in seeing it done that way. Um, Boehner dies in this version. Mm-hmm. The, the, the assassination attempt is successful. And there's a little bit where, because uh, they, they exchange the money, but it's fake money, and then they blow him up with the, the thing on the boat, right? We don't see the explosion or hear it, because there's a chase from a helicopter chasing Hallenbeck and uh, Jimmy and Darian on, on a boat thing. It's, it's fucking crazy. I'm not going to get all into every detail of it. 
Uh, but then they're like, oh, okay, there they are. Like that, that boat's working better than we are. But they're going in a circle. It's weird. And when they get to the boat, there's like a gaping hole in the center of it. And everyone's like dead and strung out on it. So they're like, oh, fuck. And to, Was Darian in all versions of the script? Yep, she's in, she's in all of them. Uh, okay. The big major changes start occurring when uh, Hallenbeck's taken from the front of his home. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you don't see is that they take his wife with him, too. Uh-huh. And they're going to take her to Milo's uh, production studio to hold her hostage until Hallenbeck dies. And, you know, the plan is to kill them both in the long run. And then Milo yeah. gets a little extra profit on the side. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's some stuff that's a little too gross. Like, um, yeah, that sounds like it was going to get gross. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad, though, it didn't involve the wife. Me, me uh, too. This is, this is better. It worked better with just the daughter. Even though it has the line, your daughter will get to see what a hot date I am. Yeah, that's... Might be one of the most skin-crawling quotes in a movie. Yeah, like, this, this, I like the viciousness and the nastiness of this movie. There's some stuff that I'm, I would have preferred cut back a little more on. Like, it's, there's limits, I think. I think it rides the line well enough. I mean, he gets fucked up. And, uh, yeah, he gets thrown to a fucking helicopter blade, yeah. which that effect is so good. <laughs> like, did they actually kill him? Yeah, that looked, I don't know how they did that, but it's real good. Like, he had a twin brother, and they're like, look, we yeah. fucked up on set, but we'll pay you X amount. Like, that's why the budget ballooned. They're like, here's $20 million if you keep your mouth okay, shut. Run family. <laughs> rest, oh, rest in peace, because he passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah he's so good in this. Oh. Yeah, he's good. He said he had a great career. He should have had a bigger one. Speaking of people, who've had, there was a line in this that made me super depressed um, when uh, Damon Waynes gets thrown off the uh, highway um, bridge and lands on top of a car. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, folks, it's nothing. I'm professional. He's like, doing this. like just let, there's me and there's Super Dave. And uh, cause Super Dave just passed away. Uh, if you don't know who Super Dave is, fucking look him up. <laughs> Because it'll make your day better. They did a tribute to him on the Jimmy Kimmel show that was real good. Oh, that sounds nice. Uh, I don't know how, how much more descriptive you want me to get into the Milo stuff and Pablo, the the other henchman that does not get his face smashed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pablo plays a bigger role instead of just kind of like, I assume he dies at one point. I'm sure he does in like one of the explosions in the finale. <laughs> this is one of those movies where it does get kind of hard to keep track of all the henchmen. Yeah. Like they, like, they keep, like, bringing new ones in, and old ones keep leaving, and you're like, wait, what the fuck? Like, who's working for who? That becomes a bit of a problem in watching it. It was always a problem in the script a little bit, but there's there's enough moments with them that when I'm, when I'm reading through it, it's it, it reads fine. But I can see it being a problem when you're putting it all together on the screen, you know? Like, sometimes mm-hmm. less is more, guys. Uh, Shane yeah. Black. And uh, pa- Pablo gets, like, his throat gutted, like, eviscerated by... Uh, Hallenbeck's Medal of Honor in his house, <laughs> which is like a great. Oh no, it's great! And so like he's <laughs> he's bleeding out with the um, the Medal of Honor hanging with like the the little strap, so it's like the red, white, and blue with like the red spurting all over it. That's pretty fucking funny. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> but then again, they're like that's right when they come back from Catalina. So they go from the house to Catalina to back to the house, and then to Marcones. Uh, Banner's dead by this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy is taken hostage along with the wife. 
mm-hmm. but he goes to rescue Jimmy at, at Marcone's, but you find out there, because there's like a, a man in black type agent kind of lurking in the background along with these other villains, and you find out uh, that it's Baynard's son. Mm. And it's that's set up earlier in, in the script too, but it's like, again, this, this thing is like, it's too much. I'm glad they streamlined it. This sounds like three movies. Yeah. Uh, and so he was like in on the whole thing too, but he also wanted revenge and Helen back because he like fucked up his face previously. Mm-hmm. And so he comes back for this one scene and then Jimmy shoots him like he just blows him out a window with a shotgun. It's like oh, wow. you didn't you didn't need that. You know, I kind of do like it, though, because it's like, look at all the hands that are like involved in like this, this giant mm-hmm. scheme. So it makes it feel more like a conspiracy thriller. I think it's better that this has a light touch more to it. I think that actually makes its point a little better because mm-hmm. um, it kind of just shows how people can casually go along with things. Yeah. It's like a network when like by the end of it, they're like talking about an assassination. Like it's just a boardroom meeting. <laughs> like, I mean, that's really what we get to. We're basically at a point where like, that'd be cheaper to kill the Senator than to pay him off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no one's really thinking about, hey, we're about to assassinate a sitting senator. <laughs> like, it's, nope, nope, doesn't matter. It's about money. And then that makes that makes Jimmy's stuff land more in that way. Yeah. Because you see how he fell into to drugs and stuff like that. And when people become addicted, it's it's not like a, a pre-planned thing, you know. But there there is a, a line I wish that was in the movie. Or maybe it is and I just completely missed it. Mm. Uh, because Darian and him do team up. Like they do in the movie for a little bit, and it's really cute because you know he lost his kid, and mm. uh, she's like, "Weren't you a drug like? Uh, aren't you a drug addict?" He's like, "I was." When'd you quit? And he goes, "This morning." And it's, <laughs> I thought, like, "Oh, that's nice." That's nice. Yeah, yeah. nice little line. Yeah, but it, the script keeps referring to him as like looking like shit because he's cold turkey in the finale, uh-huh. and so he's got to like keep up with all this, and he's like, "Oh, like I'm gonna fucking die." <laughs> I'm, he's literally gonna die, and he feels like death. You know that mm-hmm. that would be kind of fun to to lean into more. But again, Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis like hated each other, so I don't think they wanted to spend more time together than they had to. Yeah, you can really tell in the end with the voiceover. Yeah, <laughs> well, they they wouldn't even be in like a recording booth with each other, <laughs> um, which is a shame. Um, they don't think they, they honestly they have enough chemistry, but not like I wouldn't say great chemistry in this. You kind of get the sense that Damon Wayans is really trying and Bruce Willis isn't. <laughs> um, but that's actually, it seems that's just kind of their characters. Um, but, hey, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, it does work for the benefit of, the, of their their performances in a weird way. You're right. and Because, um, like, again, Hallenbeck isn't, like, some malicious asshole. He is, he is an asshole, but it's less of, like, like trying to be one and more so uh-huh. that he just stopped giving a fuck. Yeah, well, it's I really like how he plays it because he's not playing it, like, super cool. Like, it's a really sad performance. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a guy who just doesn't give a fuck anymore in a real sense. Like, that's what I say. Shane Black is great at writing fuck-ups in a way that feels more real. Where, like, you have fuck-ups in movies where they're kind of like, oh, uh, they're kinda, they drink a lot. And then here it's like, no, if you were like that, you would destroy your life. You'd become a toxic person to other people. <laughs> like, you would generally not be fun to be around. Yeah. And- well, it's like, it's like the nice guys, like, right in the middle, where, like, you've been laughing at, like, Ryan, at, uh, Ryan Gosling's antics. But, like, when you see him being drunk at, like, 10 in the morning with his daughter, 
the point where she has to drive. It's like just so sad. Yeah. And God, the nice guy is so fucking good. This guy's is great. Another movie that sets up a sequel that we'll never get. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Shane Black movies, there's there's two kinds. There's one that sets up a sequel to take place on Christmas, as the end of this movie kind of does, and the nice guys does with the setting. Yes. And the kind that take place on Christmas. Mm-hmm. The Predator fits this into neither of those categories, and that's why, and that's it's, why, that's why it's the worst one. Yeah. Although, when did uh, he wrote Monster Squad with that guy, right? Uh, Fred Decker, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that set on Halloween? That was Halloween. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there you go. But it wasn't set up for a sequel, or was it set up for a sequel? I don't know. Kind of. I think it, I'm on the bat. It there was sequel spate in it. Uh, oh, the end. At least when, when the military goes up to the kids and like, "Who are you guys?" And they're like, "We're the Monster Squad." Yeah. It's a cute movie. Yeah. That's why I like Iron Man 3, because it was like Shane Black finally got to do his sequel. He just didn't have to do the legwork of the first two. (laughs) Woo! I believe, like, this is a full belief of mine, like a real legitimate belief, that every franchise, like Iron Man or something like that, needs to have an entry set on a holiday. Maybe not Christmas, but Mm. something. I want to see these characters, if I'm following them for more than one film, I want to see them interact with the world in interesting ways. Yeah. And holidays are a good way to do that. Well, the thing I've always said about those Avengers movies is I would be perfectly fine with, like, a 90-minute movie that was just those characters hanging out. I mean, seriously, like, hey, I know you don't love Age of Ultron, and a lot of people don't. Well, the best part in that movie is them just hanging out. Yep. Like, that's the highlight of that film, and then it's all downhill from there. (laughs) But um, I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, like, across I mean, the board, that's what everyone wanted to see. Like, who gives a fuck about Thanos? Like, do you really? I know a lot of people I mean, say he's the best villain. He's not. You don't care. I don't care. We just like Josh Brolin sometimes. He, they, Josh Brolin gives a good performance for a character that is very weak on paper. <laughs> um, but whatever. That movie's fine. With a lowercase f. They were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum, I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're gonna bribe some senators to legalize gambling? Legalize sports gambling. Now. Son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I gonna do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. Out <laughs> of ideas, man. Take your best shot. If they don't kill each other first. That was a bomb. That had a hell of a factory recall. It's a very underrated film. I, I think it should be talked about more. Uh. I. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of much else to think except just go watch it. You know, mm-hmm. like don't don't listen to two idiots talk about it on some shitty podcast. Go watch the fucking thing. I I really wish that it was streaming like on Netflix or something. It's on Hulu. It is. Oh, it's what the Hulu. fuck! Everyone, go watch it on Hulu. Yeah, watch it on Hulu. <laughs> oh, let let this get like a second life because like uh, I think the Blu-ray might be out of print or something like that. I got the only version I got was at a used DVD store, and it's like one of those like very first generation dvds 
where one side is full screen and the other side is widescreen. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's. Uh... So it just looks. It doesn't look great. Uh, you know what? At least it's not the pan and scan transfer. Like I have a copy of Starman. That's that's that shit. Mm. It's unwatchable. It's like two thirds yeah. of the screen are gone. They do that with fucking. Uh, I I have a problem with the Big Trouble in Little China DVD. Because it has both options, but I never know which one I'm selecting until I start the fucking movie. Oh, it doesn't say on the DVD? Well, no, it says, like, it's like, do you want do you want letterboxed or pan and scan? And I can't tell which one I'm highlighting because of the way the colors are. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's bad. That's a problem. Low pan. I think, uh... <laughs> I think Criterion should... Should do an update, a 4K update of the Last Boy Scout. Yes. There you go. They should start doing. They should start getting Shane Black shit. Yeah. Do it. I could imagine people being put off by it, and uh, it's it's very vile. It's it's crazy cynical. Um, it does end on an optimistic note, much like uh, we were talking about the new Halloween. Uh, it has the greatest final lines ever. Old Satan Claus? Yeah. That whole bit is great. If anyone out there knows where I can get a Satan Claus shirt, please let Mm. me know, because I would love (laughs) to own it. He's out there, and he's just getting stronger. (laughs) And that's Satan Claus is a metaphor for capitalism. Bruce Willis. Damon Wayans. The last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Lance Cornelius. Don't tell anybody I kill you. But yeah, that's the last Boy Scout. Yeah. Incredible film. I believe. Great. I believe uh, you referred to it as lower tier Shane Black in one of our previous episodes. Uh, I think just I was talking more in like the how it was seen by people. Um, Don't you fucking lie to me. No, but I, um, as much as I I love it, I, it's weird because most of the stuff is like all timer for me. It's, it's, this is also an all timer favorite of mine, but like, it's probably like under long kiss goodnight. I love this. I love this more as a Tony Scott film than as a Shane Black script. Yeah. And we, we, we talked a little bit about Tony Scott and yeah, we probably should talk more, but I mean, I just. It's hard. Just fucking go go watch like Domino. Ah, oh, that's they, that's my favorite Tony Scott. I know that might be weird, but we might be like the only three people that like it. Oh, it's just the shit. Yeah, it's three people. It's you, me, and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I don't even know if Richard Kelly likes it. And he wrote the fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah, but who listens to Richard Kelly? Richard Kelly doesn't listen to Richard Kelly. Um. Did you see Southland Tales? I did. I loved it, man. though. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. John Lovett shows up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not even the weirdest part. What is that movie trying to say? Uh, that corporations and warfare are being fed to us through our subconscious mind and that society oh. is drugging its, its like... inhabitants. That's an example of like this. This is kind of like where I said I don't think the message is that deep in this film, or uh, I mean, the story. I should say I don't think it's that deep. It's just told in the most convoluted way possible. <laughs> in 
Because you got like time traveling Vietnam vets and like it's a music number and fucking doppelgangers. Oh, it's it's way and too much, and I loved it. I just that movie like made me just like hard. It was hard to look at. That was one where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> it it is not for everyone for sure. And everyone's screaming in that movie. Oh, it's it's <laughs> so loud. That's a big problem. That's a big problem with Richard Kelly in general is everyone kind of talks like motherfucking motherfuck like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Kevin Smith like sit the fuck down. <laughs> Kevin Smith explaining time travel to Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> it's no the last boy scout. No, it is not. It, in fact, it is barely a movie. <laughs> Um. Yeah, remember Donnie? Remember when everyone loved Donnie Darko? I I think that's a John Hughes thing for me, where I just I missed it and it just never stuck with me. Everyone who liked it when I was in high school, I hated. So I I like internalized it. <laughs> um. But hey, uh, I don't know. I, I would rather see Richard Kelly make more movies, though. Yeah. The world's better with him in it. And the world is poorer without Tony Scott. Yeah. Rest in peace. Uh, check out all of Tony Scott's work. I'm sure at some point we're going to be talking about other movies he's done here. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely. I mean, Domino would definitely have to do. Oh, Domino. <laughs> Where Tom Waits just stumbles in for a five-minute sequence to philosophize and then inspires That's the characters. The perfect way to use Tom Waits in a movie. <laughs> the only better use of Tom Waits is in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, there's an old prospect. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, right, I guess we should we should wrap up then. Last Boy yes. Scout. Last Greatest Boy Scout. film ever made or one of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'll leave it up to you, the listener, the viewer. Thank if you if you title this the la- is the Last Boy Scout the real Die Hard sequel. I think you'll get a lot of clicks, and everyone will be angry at my Reginald Bill Johnson. Oh yeah, no, that's that's definitely staying in. I think I think that's the the way to do it now. <laughs> Shout out to Reginald Bill Johnson, who's still alive. Unlike Super Dave. <laughs> Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at emperorotn at twitter.com. You can follow me at twitter.com slash dewgo waffles. The Waffle Press, like and subscribe. If you didn't like this, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. Uh, So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional.